0: You can also find us on the web at VineyardBrenham.org and on Facebook and Twitter at Vineyard Brenham. Anyway, thanks again for stopping by, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning. That scene was from the, the 1992 movie, A River Runs Through It. How many of you saw that movie? Okay. Well, this is this is one of those we need to do on a movie night that we can we can watch. And that scene was called Fishing with Father. The movie was nominated for many Academy and Golden Globe awards and won an Oscar for best cinematography. And if you look at that scene, you can kind of see why. I mean, wasn't that just amazing? I mean, I don't really fish too much, but I would I'd love to try it. <laughs> The story is about two sons of a Montana minister as they faced the challenges of growing up in the early 20th century. And for them, the one constant was the river and fly fishing. Now, is there anybody that really, really likes fishing here today? Do you really like fishing? I mean, you'd rather be doing that than doing anything else. Yeah, I, I, I like to fish, but I, I, I guess I don't like it that much because I don't get to do it very much. So, well, I got to thinking about fishing this week, and, and I just ran across a, a few quotes, and I don't know, maybe maybe you might think they're they're good ones, and then again, maybe not. The first one is by a, a, an author by the name of Paul Shulery, and he says, Calling fishing a hobby is like calling brain surgery a job. Then Robert Altman, some of you might have seen some of his movies. He's a director. I love fishing. You put that line in the water, and you don't know what's on the other end. Your imagination is under there. And the other one, the last one I have is by Tony Blake. I'm not exactly sure who he was. I wrote down he was a writer and producer, but it may have been somebody else. Some go to church and think about fishing, and others go fishing and think about God. Well, since we're in church this morning, that that one's a little appropriate. I'm continuing our series this morning in the Gospel of Mark. And the title of my message is, Fishing for People. Now, just to do a quick review, if you recall what we've studied so far, we started with Jesus and His Baptism, that remarkable baptism. He goes under the water, and when he comes up out of the water, Mark tells us that the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of it looked like a dove descending upon him, and he was he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in that moment, God spoke out from heaven, "This is my beloved son." And in Him I'm well pleased. Well, we know that Jesus went on and He left the Jordan River. The Scripture tells us that He was driven by the the same Spirit that rested on Him to go into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. And I I don't know about you, but the idea of just, just going out and knowing that I'm going to be bombarded for 40 days had to just it would be terrifying for me but Jesus went there on his own volition the spirit drove him there to encounter satan because this was going to be the preparation for his earthly ministry and at the end of those 40 days Jesus emerged from the wilderness full of the power of the holy spirit and he took his new message public in the region around the sea of galilee if you were here last week then you remember it's time! I love that. That's a good way to wake people up too. So, um, But it, the, what he was saying was, the kingdom of God is here. It's available now. Repent. Change your ways. And believe the good news. Well, we're still in Mark this morning. And we're going to be looking at the point where Jesus called His first disciples. In verse 15, if you're following along there, or we'll have it up here on the screen. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow Me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once, and they followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired hired men. I don't need to tell you that fishing is, is an ancient practice. I, I'm sure as, as soon as men found out that there were, were fish in the water, they started trying to find out ways to catch them. And I, I can just imagine that it probably started, you know, trying to catch them by hand if you've ever tried to do that with minnows or maybe some bigger fish. that It's kind of hard, Right? And so they progressed from trying to catch them by hand to maybe getting some rocks. And they threw the rocks at them. Well, that didn't work very well. So then they they devised some spears or, or some arrows so that they could, they could catch those fish, spear those fish, and they'd be able to catch them and eat them. <laughs> and then someone got the bright idea, you know, if we get a get a line and we get a hook on the end of it, You know this person had to be a a genius to get get a get a hook on a line and just stick it out there in the water and then get those get those fish to bite it you know that would be awesome and and it, it just totally revolutionized fishing you know, and then we have lures and we have hooks and, and all these kinds of things. All these these neat little little things that you can put in a tackle box to go fishing. I, I, that was one of the coolest things when I started fishing with my kids. I, I, I just loved just putting new stuff in the tackle box. You know, because it's like, oh, I, I think I've got one for that. You know, I've, I've got something for that, for that need right there, you know. Well, trade fishermen... They they learn how to to fish. This is like a thing that they do. It's it's a family thing. They it, it they're from the time a kid can walk, pretty much. If their dad was a fisherman, dad is teaching them how to learn how to fish. And in the Middle East, where where Jesus was around the Sea of Galilee, the way that they fish they use they use nets. And these nets were were designed that they could throw it out into the water and they could catch literally hundreds of fish at one time. You know, so you don't have to rely on the hook and, and the line and everything. But these fishermen taught their kids how to do this. It was a process. And they taught them from the time that they were very young till the time that they were very old to prepare them to take over the family business of fishing. Now that process... Training somebody to, to take over a business, to take over a trade, is kind of a slow, maybe even a mundane kind of process. Well, there's a concept that, that we're, we're aware of. It was an ancient process. It was an ancient concept, actually. The concept of apprenticeship. And it's centuries old. Long before Jesus called His first disciples, there were teachers, there were artisans, craftsmen, and other skilled workers who committed themselves to the ancient process, the formal process, of apprenticeship as a way to train a person in a trade or a skill. In the Middle Ages in Europe, Master craftsmen formally employed young people as an ex- inexpensive form of labor as an exchange for pro- providing food, lodging, and formal training in a craft. And in this, this line of work, there was no crash course. You know, you don't have Google, so you can go out and figure out how to, how to do it faster. It was a long-term commitment that stretched well into adulthood and when we think about discipleship discipleship is kinda like that process it involves the devotion to learning and following a particular leader and in this case let's think of it in terms of becoming a student in in, the, in this case of Jesus so with that process in mind It makes sense, at least to me, that Jesus' first four disciples were fishermen. They understood the process from the time that they were very young. Their their dad got them out on the fishing boat. And then they understood the process of how to throw the net. They understood everything that was involved in taking care of, of fishing for the family. And that understanding the process was going to be foundational to becoming and making disciples of Jesus. Now, I've been, been your pastor here now for a little over a year, officially. And I've noticed that whenever I start talking to people about discipleship, it's kind of like their eyes just kind of glaze over kind of like what y'all are doing this morning, like, what's it? where's this going? Has anybody ever read a book on discipleship? I have four, I was thinking about it, I, I thought I had more, but I know that I have four books of di- on discipleship. One of them is The Art of Discipleship, somebody told me a long time ago I needed to get that book, so I got it, I've read parts of it. And then there's another one called The Master Plan of Discipleship. And that was also recommended by somebody else. I don't know that I've ever even opened it. <laughs> and then I've also got a book called The Disciple-Making Pastor. And this was, was required reading at the church where we used to attend. And, and I, I actually read through the book. And so I was thinking, you know, whenever I became, became pastor... I I need to read this book again, you know, because it, I mean, it was required reading for me and, you know, and I was thinking about requiring it for, for people in leadership, you know, and so I started reading it and I got about maybe a quarter of the way through and was like, "Ah, I got to get something else to read. And, there's, and there's one more that's called Tag you It, and it was, it was trying to make it a little bit more hip, and the, you know, the lingo was, was kind of cool and everything, but it was, it was still just dry and boring. I, if, if, anybody, if any of you have a problem going to sleep at night, <laughs> let me give you a book on discipleship, and you can read that, and I promise you you'll, you'll be asleep in 10 minutes. Now that, I, I know that sounds terrible. I, I and, and, and please forgive me if you if if if, if that offends anybody. I'm I'm sorry. I, I, I'll I'll just I'll, I'll own that. But I, I think there's a reason why those books come off just really boring. That they 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 just don't really capture our interest, and and that's because the process of discipleship can only be learned in the context of a relationship. You know. I mean, these guys that were that were Jesus' disciples, they spent time with him, day after day after day, and you know, and there were a few of them that we've we've found that it just by looking at clues in Scripture that they may have had families, and so somehow they were able to to juggle whatever responsibilities that they had at home with following Jesus, and they spent. The better part of three years or maybe more with Jesus up until the time that that he he, he was crucified and buried and and resurrected. And when you look at the apprenticeship process, the apprentice has to get to know the master. They have to, to understand what makes this guy Do what He does if they're ever going to be successful in in taking over that business. And a disciple must have an intimate relationship with their teacher. In other words, you can't learn this in a book. It's kind of like what Jesus told His disciples in, in Matthew chapter 11. He said, Take my yoke upon you let me teach you because i'm humble and i'm gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls now we all understand the 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 thing about a yoke right you're you're connected to somebody else now, i've never been in charge of of running a wagon but but i i i think that you know understanding how those those animals work in tandem with each other and you know and, and of course I have a pretty wild imagination, and I can imagine what it would be like if those, those animals could actually talk to each other. You know, they, they, they'd talk and, and go along, and, you know, and, and they could talk about anything in the process of pulling that wagon, you know, just to kind of pass the time. And, and, and they, they build a relationship with one another. And somehow, in that relationship of working together in the yoke, they, they do just a, a, a fantastic job in, in taking care of the work that needs to be done. Pulling the wagon. Well, the, joke, the, the, the yoke that Jesus refers to involves partnering with and spending time with Him. And that partnership begins with making a commitment to Jesus Christ. And that is the first and the most important step that we can make. Now, in our text, Jesus told Simon and Andrew to follow Him and be His disciples so they can learn how to fish for people. The modern church often refers to fishing for people as evangelism. And a common definition of evangelism involves spreading the gospel by preaching and or through a personal witness. And in recent years, the term evangelism has fallen on some pretty hard times within our culture. And it's actually picked up some very negative connotations through the media and and through all the, the various channels that we have to, to receive information from. Evangelism is not seen with high regard like it maybe once was. For instance, while I was preparing this week, I ran across an article that asked this question. Is evangelism ethical today? Well, we we think, you know, we're, you know, we're not trying to hurt anybody, but... Among many millennials, they think of witnessing and sharing one's faith as being offensive and even harmful to a person's self-esteem. And you know, and, and just thinking about that this morning, I, and, and I, I, this is kind of out of the blue. This is one of those squirrel moments. Um, <laughs> sorry, but but th- it's, this is a trajectory, and I hope that I can maybe bring it back. But um, but I, I saw this morning I, I'm a, a friend on Facebook with um, with a, a Methodist minister. She's uh, on the faculty of Asbury uh, Theological Seminary, and uh, the, the the Methodist Church is actually supposed to be announcing, I believe, the decision that they that they're that they're making in regard to what is it same sex marriage in and, and so. Um, this is the this is the kind of thing that we're dealing with in our culture. You know the the scripture says when the foundations are being shaken, what are the righteous to do? You know we this this is a time that we pray and that we seek the Lord because the attitude towards our message, the attitude towards the church, the attitude even towards Christianity is 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 in a more negative light maybe than it's ever been in our culture at any, any given time and in a context where evangelism is confrontation debate awkward and uncomfortable interactions with people of different faiths telling people that they're wrong and we're right it sets us up for for epic failure and it's experiences like that that contributed to a negative opinion of evangelism and the church across the world. Have you ever posted something on Facebook that started an argument? <laughs> How would you feel about that when it was over with? You know? You know, a lot of... Not much light in that conversation. The truth is, debating and defending the faith... Are some of the most ineffective ways of sharing the gospel with others. I, I was thinking about this last night, and I went back and I, I had a had a chat with a with a friend of mine from from high school. We we got back in contact with each other because our kids were in the band. He was he was in the the Aggie band, and 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 so you know we were we were riding back and forth. And one night, and I guess he he might have been drinking a little bit. And, uh, and he, started, he, he started this conversation. This is how the conversation started. When are you going to confront so-and-so? And I won't tell you his name because if they, if they listen to the podcast, then they'll be yelling at me. When are you going to confront so-and-so about all that atheistic stuff that he's spewing out on Facebook? And I just responded. Am I supposed to confront him? He, well, somebody needs to, somebody needs to defend the faith cuz he's saying all this atheistic stuff and he's and he's just plastering it everywhere. You know, somebody needs to stand up. Somebody needs to say something. And uh, you know, and I I I was kind of kind of set back by that. I was like, "Well, uh, first of all i don't I don't think it's my place, but second of all i I don't know that it's going to do a whole lot of good and And I had read his posts and and, and some of them were really offensive and you know and and, and there, there's that's a neat feature about Facebook. You can unfollow people <laughs> and I, I I don't like necessarily unfriending you know unless it just gets really bad but but i, I unfollowed and, and 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 my feed has been so much more pleasant since then. <laughs> But our conversation went on for a couple of hours. And I just proceeded to tell him that, you know, I don't think it's my job to defend the faith. Because you know, when you start talking about, you know, the, the history of Christianity, there's been some pretty bad stuff that's been done in the name of Jesus. You know, I don't want to try to defend what's, what might be going on in, in, a, in another denomination. You know, the Catholic Church, is, is they're, they're having a really difficult time right now. And they're having to address some serious issues. The Methodist Church is dealing with some serious issues. I can't speak for them. I, 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 and I really can't even speak for the Vineyard. Because, you know, I'm just one pastor. But the one thing that I can do, and this is what I told him in the conversation, I can't do all that other stuff and I really don't have any interest in doing it because I'll probably say something and it'll be taken the wrong way and and it just won't be effective. But I can talk about what Jesus has done for me. I can talk about Him because you know what? Jesus, You can't really say anything bad about Jesus. Someone who was selfless enough to lay down his life for all of humanity. You know, he still looks pretty good across the world. And so I just ended that conversation by saying, you know, I, I think my job is just, just really loving Jesus and, and trying to love people. And in, and before it was over with, he's 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 confessing all kinds of stuff to me, and you know, like, well, you know, really, all you can do, you know, the Bible tells you just confess your sin and, and be forgiven. Well, I know who my Savior is, and I'm like that's fine, but but you 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 need forgiveness, you need the peace that Jesus can give you, and really, that was kind of. That conversation, and I've gone back and I've read it several times, including yesterday, but that, that conversation really got me thinking, and, and I, I know you've, maybe you've seen on our, the, the stuff that we've been putting out lately uh, that, that has our, our, our logo, Loving God, Loving People. I think if, if that's our focus, that, that we, we, we do our best to love God, and then we try to love each other. If we could do those two things and just do those to the best of our ability... How much better will Brenham and Washington County and even whatever reaches of Texas that we go into? Just loving God, loving people. And I just want to close with this. I was reading yesterday, and, and I, we, we read it in, in the, the book of Colossians back in, I guess that was like November. And uh, I don't know, that, that book just really kind of kind of changed my life. But if you want to know what the secret is to becoming effective in fishing for people, it's I think it's in the book of Colossians where the Apostle Paul shared the secret with the Colossian church. He said, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Now what, what that says to me is, first of all, you know, we, I, I think we need to invite the Holy Spirit's direction. This is one of the things that we talk about in the vineyard quite a bit. Get up in the morning and say, Lord, what, what do you want me to do today? Where do, where do you want me to go? What are you wanting me to be involved in? What are you doing? I want to partner with you in what you're doing. And part of that is is learning how to recognize opportunities. You know, we we, we talk to people every day and when, you know we, we talk about the weather and we talk about you know all the all the stuff that's going on in the world, you know, there might be an opportunity in our in our everyday conversation just to find out what's going on in a person's life. I got a text message over the weekend from a, a friend of mine and I, I've, I've just known him for a few years. And he, he sends me this text message and, and he just... He, he, and I don't have time to talk, but I, I need a favor. Okay, what's the favor? And he's just like, I, I need you to pray. I've got a situation. And, uh, you know, it's so like, yeah, yeah, I'll pray. I'll, I'll be available. And, uh, and so a little, little while later... He, he called me and it just began to unpour. I mean, it, it, it was, he was just pouring it out over the phone. Just, just horrible, horrible circumstances. And, you know, and it didn't see any hope and, and everything. And really all I did was listen. And I just told him, look, hey, I, I'm here. I'm available if, there, if, if you need me. And, and he's, he's half the country away, four or five states away from me. You know, and I told him, man, I wish I could hop on a plane and come over and give you a hug or whatever. But there's people that we bump shoulders with, that we rub shoulders with, that we bump into during the day that are, are under a load of, of guilt, shame, that need help. And sometimes they don't even know how to say, help me. And whenever we, we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, He can actually, you know, just at the right time ask a, a question. At the right time, that might, that might be the, the, the opening that we need to allow the Spirit to use us. Now one thing about making the most of, of every opportunity, and I, I wrote this, this down this morning, when we get those opportunities, that's not the time to unload. You know, we've got all this stuff that we, you know, oh yeah, and and you know we're loading up to to just just level them with it. You know, it, those opportunities that that's that we can use those to to allow the Lord to use us. And one of the things that I've tried to do more recently is whenever somebody's telling me about something going on, can I pray for you? You know, most folks will say, well, yeah, sure, yeah, you can pray for me. And so you know, and I come over and say, can I you know. Oh, you you going to pray now? Like, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I I I want to pray now. You know, we're here. Let's let's do this. And you don't have to make a big show of it. It's just, you know, Holy Spirit come, you know, to do this, you know, be with my friend, whatever. And and it's it's been amazing. And, and and nothing may happen. Maybe maybe something might happen. We don't know. We don't know what what God is going to use and what God's going to do in those moments. But when we take those opportunities, that gives the Holy Spirit his opportunity to work because it's all up to him anyway. And and the, I, I guess the last thing you know from from what Paul's little secret there to speak words of encouragement and hope. People need encouragement, you know. And rather than than, than talking about stuff that that is is depressing, you know. I, one of the things that I try to do is just I, I want to be the positive guy in the room you know everybody's talking about how bad everything is and I, I'm, I'm looking like man I love the color of that wall you know <laughs> just, just anything just to, just to break that, that, that cycle of, 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 of negativity and it, it's kind of like you know uh, and I, I like cartoons but if you remember what uh, oh gosh and I, I, I just forgot his name in Bambi what was the, the rabbit's name Thumper. Thank you. If you can't say nothing nice, don't say nothing at all. So anyway, I I feel like if we make ourselves available, the Holy Spirit can lead us and use us to be more effective in being loving and demonstrating who Jesus is to the people we meet. And it all begins with saying yes. So can we stand this morning?